and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Vasca, and today I'm joined by director Carmen Vincent, whose new film, Teacher of Patience, explores disability training and premiered at Slamdown. I'm so happy that your message is out there with Teacher of Patience. This is such a beautiful film. Thank you so much. And yeah, I've seen you around Forward Doc and I know all of the incredible advocacy you do. So I I appreciate all of your work in the disability and filmmaking community. What I love about this film, though, very specifically, is that it's talking so much about what we need to do to educate first responders around disability education and so forth. And I wonder, how did you decide how you were going to frame this statement. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as documentaries often take shape, um, it happens unexpectedly. I was originally intending just to do kind of a portrait piece of this small town Indiana family um, who also uh, does advocacy work for the disability community amongst uh, first responders. But that was going to be a smaller piece of it. And uh, the more time I spent filming with this family, the more I realized just how extraordinary it is what they do for first responders and how needed it is, especially in small town communities in rural Indiana and the Midwest, where this kind of disability education is not, um, it's not the status quo yet, uh, but we're, we're trying to get there. And I love what you do to really create a really beautiful portrait of a family, but also of Emily herself and, allowing her her own voice to share what's happening. I wonder if you could maybe comment a little bit on how you decided what exactly to include within the documentary, because I think that's one of the fascinating things when you are trying to shape a story after following a particular family the things that are included are as interesting as the things that are not in a lot of ways. Yes. And so I wondered if you could maybe comment on what made you decide when you were going to include her swearing, when you were going to include these different elements of the story. Absolutely. So I was very well aware of the tropes of disabled characters in films and TV shows. And I have multiple advocates who have been consulting throughout. Um, so that has been incredibly helpful because I I wanted, I was committed to showing Emily as the truly multidimensional person that she is. And I think starting the film with her swearing, it's just the best to me because it shows that, you know, she is a 26 year old woman. She can say whatever she wants. Um, often people are shocked to see her swear and like, as as one of the first responders in the film says, they think, oh, can she even do that? Because they see her <laughs> as a little child. And and I wanted to challenge that uh, image right off the bat and show, no, she is she's an adult. She can do what she wants. She has, you know, an amazing personality. She makes people laugh. She has, you know, the ups and downs just like all of us do. Um, and, and I wanted to show that within the family unit, um, but also just how she deals with it herself because... Uh, there there were times where um, I, I didn't want to keep filming when she was having a tough moment because it feels wrong to point the camera at someone struggling. But um, her parents and, and she helped me realize that 
No, actually, those are the moments that first responders especially need to see to see how she works through Mm -hmm. some of the more triggering or stimulating moments. Um, There's a scene at her birthday party where she has a bunch of nieces and nephews over who are babies and their crying makes her walk away up to her room um, because the the sound is just too stimulating for her. So she'll step away. And that's something important for a first responder to keep in mind is that, you know, different people have different levels of tolerance for stimulation and sound and lights and might deal with that differently, whether that means, you know, cursing someone out because that's the only way I can think to handle that in the moment or stepping aside, um, trying to find a safe space away from that stimulation. And I think it's really great how you show how this family asks her to take on some autonomy and agency when they are speaking about her and trying to make sure that the experience that she brings to the table is not left behind. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what makes their presentations for first responders so special is that Emily does tag along when she wants to. And that's most of the time. Um, She loves doing Emily talks, which is what the presentation is called. And having the first responders meet her makes her a person instead of just, you know, a sentence in a textbook about Down syndrome, which is really um, invalidating and reductive. So to show her as, you know, a fellow human being who acts this, you know, has the same ups and downs as everyone else. I just, I wanted to show a multidimensional character. She is such a multidimensional character and the advocacy work she does, while it may not look like what some people may first think of when they think of advocacy work, it is still so important for our communities. Yeah, absolutely. And for you, in terms of your personal work within filmmaking, within the disability community, what were the things that you really wanted to pay attention to when you decided that you were going to be making a film specifically about a Down syndrome character? What were the things that you were most critical of in other people's work that you wanted to keep separate from your own? Sure. Uh, So, you know, I myself am from the disability community. So luckily, I I have access to fellow disabled filmmakers and disability advocates who helped me think through that. Because as I was doing research in the early parts of this film, I the the content I was coming up against that featured individuals with Down syndrome, um, it felt a little one sided to me where or or it focused on ability, which um, Mm -hmm. I understand challenges stigma. And I think that's an amazing thing. But also, I didn't see anyone like Emily on the screen. Um, You know, the the films I saw focused on, you know, like, oh, wow, look how amazing it is that this person with Down syndrome got married and had and got a job and ran a marathon, stuff like that, which, yeah, that's cool. Like, that's, I mean, I think those are great things for anyone to celebrate, whether they have Down syndrome or not. Um, But you know, people, I just it was especially drawn to Emily because she's not typically what we would see because, you know, it can be a little more nuanced to capture the way she communicates. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to take on that challenge and really like get to know her and get to know like how she ticks and what makes what makes her happy, what, what makes her frustrated. Like she became one of my best friends through this mm-hmm. um, filmmaking process. And we still like 
get together and watch Taylor Swift concerts on YouTube and stuff. Like <laughs> we have, I like to think we have a great friendship. I don't know if she always thinks that, but she's very gracious in letting me point the camera at her and, you know, work out how to best tell a nuanced version of her story. No. And I think that's the key to what you are able to accomplish in 28 minutes is that it is a very nuanced version of her story, as opposed to the very reductive versions that we see everywhere in media. Mm -hmm. I think about depictions of Down syndrome, and I think about Peanut Butter Falcon, for example, and how shocked my friends were when I attacked that movie Mm -hmm. and said that it was a terrible portrayal of life for people with disabilities, but particularly Down syndrome, that everything exists in this binary that non-disabled people can understand. Right. Where you have a complete and utter lack of nuance to what life looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And I know in the community, we have uh, the term inspiration porn, and that was definitely Mm -hmm. something I wanted to stray away from even though what Emily is doing can be inspiring, it's not inspiring because she has a disability. It's it's inspiring because she's being brave in her community. And also like there are days where it's not inspiring, where she is just having a rough day. Like I, I think we need to stop um, showing, you know, perfect heroic characters in films, um, especially films with disability, because then it makes it... it it kind of turns the stigma in the other direction and makes mm-hmm. the expectations impossible to achieve then. And it's, you know, I just, I want to show that we're, we're freaking human. Like that's it period. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a wonderful target to reach for. And it's also really incredible to me watching this film, the kinds of ways that Emily is able to clearly be very comfortable verbalizing in front of you all of Mm -hmm. her frustrations and all of her fears and anxiety is really quite incredible to me too. And I think allowing her that autonomy and that agency and allowing people to not have to be perfect on screen every time and not have to meet the demands of non-disabled gaze, basically. I think all of that is so important in what you're doing with this film. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's so good to hear because when you're going through it, I think it's really easy to second guess yourself. Like, am I doing justice to this whole community? Am I doing justice to Emily and our family, to my voice as a filmmaker? So that's really validating to hear. Thank you. And I think it just really helped that we have a lot of the same interests so we could like foster that friendship. Like she is into... Um, like Hannah Montana and Taylor Mm -hmm. Swift and you know it's all like very nostalgic for me but she has helped me kind of bring back the the love of all of those wonderful things and um, you know we both love music to death and we love going to Dairy Queen Um, (laughs) so yeah it was fun this this family has kind of become I call them my Indiana family because I live in Indiana now and I don't have any family here Um, so, so they get, whether they like it or not at this point, I go camping with them. I go to some their holidays. Like it is just flourished outside of the film, which I think only made the film stronger, which is cool to see. 
That's incredible. But there is a very caring, loving relationship there that is somewhat visible in the film as well. So thank you. That really explains a lot. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> That's really wonderful to know about. So for you, what are your biggest concerns and what are the things that you're most looking for audiences to take away from this at Slamdance? Yeah, at Slamdance especially, I mean, it's going to be such a largely, you know, artistic filmmaker community viewing it. But I did, I I have reached out to all of the first responder organizations in Salt Lake and Park City to invite them to those screenings. So hoping to get um, some first responders to show up. But I think the biggest thing is that patience is a human right. Like, it feels like we live in such a quick to judge, fast moving um, world. And this family has taught me like how important it is to really just slow down and listen and be attentive to what the person in front of you is feeling, is needing. Um, and and hopefully that's like the humanity that can come out of this film for the Slam Dance audience. But then of course, we're always motivated with our impact campaign to get this in front of as many first responders as possible and translate that into like tangible curriculum um, with the supplemental resources we've come up with with our impact partners. So got a lot going on. <laughs> that's great. And do you want to talk a little more about your impact campaign and how that's taking shape? Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of twofold. We've been doing educational screenings with first responder groups, and that means police, fire, EMS, social workers, hospital workers, from nurses to doctors to facilities, um, gas workers. So it it really is a widespread group, um, wider than you might first think when you hear first responders. And when we do those educational screenings, if the filters can come, they always, they tag along and do Q&A afterwards. And then we have supplemental resources that we share that um, our impact partners help us come up with. And those are all consisting of disability organizations or first responder organizations. And we all kind of collaborate on those resources. And then we're also working on incorporating the film itself into first responder curriculum. So we're starting with, yeah, we're starting with the state of Indiana um, and working on their continued education platform so everyone would be able to have access to it. Um, and then then we'll go from there. But that's why we targeted the, you know, the half hour mark for the duration of the film, just because first responders, they're busy. They have a lot on their plates and it's it's a lot to ask them to sit down for an hour and a half or two hours to digest something. So we were trying to go for a quick and easy half hour and you know, they can follow up with whatever the resources they'd like to explore after that. That's really wonderful. And I wonder if you could maybe share a little bit about what kinds of curriculum you're developing to support this too. Yeah. So a lot of questions that come up in these educational screenings is like, these overarching lessons are awesome, but we want like specific, practical, like this is what you do in this situation type information. And of course, that's that's too detailed to put into a documentary film that is, you know, also doing traditional mm-hmm. distribution and stuff. But in our resources, we're really trying to target like if if you find yourself in this particular situation, here's the best, you know, the best practices. Um, 
but also just leaving room for like being flexible because everyone is different and all, mm-hmm. you know, every situation culture is something different, which is why I have such respect for these first responders. Cause they truly like, you have to be ready for absolutely anything. Um, one of, one of the biggest questions we get is like, you know, if Emily were stuck in a building that was on fire, you know, I can't necessarily be patient. I I have to get her out of there. And if she doesn't want to go, what do I do? So that's when Tom Felter, the father steps in and explains, you know, well, there are certain situations where you just have to put the person's safety first, but never use, you know, never use, um, I think he calls it prone restraints or certain types of force that can result in um, people being injured. So they're just, there, there's so many possibilities, but I think, you know, our, our main goal is getting that practical information to first responders. So they have like step one, step two, step threes to go off of. Yeah, no. And I think that's really remarkable and wonderful, especially when you're also acknowledging that disability is not a monolith. You repeat right. both in the words of the father, as well as other characters within the film repeatedly that, You've met one autistic person. You've met one person with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. You've met one person. That's all you've met. You have no larger understanding of the whole, just as you wouldn't assume you understand all of humanity because you met one person. Yeah. I really love that you're creating curriculum, but at the same time, honoring those individual differences. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. That's one of my favorite quotes in the film because I think that can be something that you know you fall into when trying to educate about the disability community just because there are so many types of disabilities at some point you have to make some kind of generalizations but at the same time keep in mind that everyone is different and that everyone will need something different and that the best the absolute best way to treat someone with dignity and respect is to let them have the agency to tell you what they need um So yeah, that's how we're moving forward. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. So it sounds like this has been a very involved and very lengthy process with this film. (laughs) How long exactly have you been working on this? Yeah, so um, we started filming February of 2020. And then as, you know, as everyone says, the pandemic got in the way for a while. Um, I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm 23 years old, just figuring this out as I go and having amazing mentors and help along the way. Um, So I've definitely not been doing it alone, but also I think it's taken a little longer just because it has been mostly my baby. Um, And because I really wanted to do the story right and want to do the impact campaign right, which takes so much time. Um, Bureaucracy is a thing. (laughs) It's a slow thing. So trying to get into those first responder groups and curriculum, all of that takes time. But yeah, I think it's time well spent because I spent two years filming with the filters. And I, I think with that came so much more dimensionality that I got to capture with them and just like have a relationship with them, which helps them open up to the camera and so on and so forth, but also helped create a relationship where I could bounce ideas off of them for the impact campaign or, or, I mean, they just have really been amazing, not only documentary subjects, but consultants in how we can best move forward to make an impact with this film. So yeah, it's taken a while, but I think it's been worth it. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. So where do you go from here at this point? 
How much longer are you going to continue with the impact campaign before moving on to another project? Say, yeah, or- I think that's always like the magical question for documentary filmmakers, because I, I mean, this is this especially is an evergreen story, I think. And and unfortunately, I think it will take some time to actually implement um, and for it to become for disability education to become a status quo in first responder curriculum. But um, I'm willing to work at it as as long as it takes to to be able to pass the torch to someone else who can really own it, um, such as someone like in the advocacy space full time. But I, I'm applying to grants right now that'll help support the impact campaign. So for at least another year, I think we're going to focus on that and then focus on getting sort of a universal distribution so the wider public can also view the film and have it be accessible. But, you know, as I, I, I have the filmmaker book, so I do have like more ideas in mind. I have a docuseries that is in pretty early development that I'm I'm excited about and going to pitch around at Slamdance. So We'll see what happens. I'm just trying to take it as it comes. It's been super exciting. I wish you every luck with that because I think it's a remarkable thing that you're doing and it's wonderful work. And I'm so glad to see things like this existing in the world and making a difference in the way that they are. Thank you so much. And thanks for giving us a, a platform to talk about it and for all you do for the community. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on and for chatting about Teacher of Patience. Do you want to just quickly let our audience know how they can access the Slamdance channel? Yeah, absolutely. So um, during the actual festival from January 23rd to 29th, you can view the entire Slamdance slate um, uh, at slamdancechannel.com for $7.99, I believe, is the monthly subscription price. So a pretty cheap cost to view all the films in the festival. So go ahead and support them. And if anyone wants any more information on Teacher Patients, we have a website, uh, teacherpatients.com. Awesome. And I will add information about that in the show notes as well, so that people can just click on that link. When you listen to this episode, you can just scroll down and click on that link and find out more about all of Carmen's wonderful work. Thank you again so very much, Carmen. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of land stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. 
You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch. Thank you.